it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Love this podcast because it crushes your dreams of getting rich quick. They actually got me into reading stats for anything. You're tuned in to the Investing for Beginners podcast. Led by Andrew Sather and Dave Ahern. Step-by-step premium investing guidance for beginners. Your path to financial freedom starts now. Starts now. All right, folks. Well, welcome to Investing for Beginners podcast. Tonight we have episode 170. Andrew and I are going to answer some great listener questions we got recently. So I will go ahead and start and read our first question. So I have Andrew. I know you have spoken about having hard rules about when to sell a company, and one of them is when they cut their dividend. During COVID-19, some companies cut their dividend temporarily, but have had a long history of dividend growth. Do you make an exception in this particular circumstance or stick to the rules? A specific example is Disney, great company, but they suspended their biannual dividend payout to combat the significant decrease in revenue. While this isn't a sign the company is in trouble, would you still hold on to such companies in this rare circumstance? Respectfully, Matthew. What are your thoughts on that, Andrew? Yeah, so I've had to deal with this quite personally in the sense that you know you have varying degrees of how companies are dealing with their dividends during this COVID crisis. Obviously, we're recording this now in sep- the middle of September, and so you've seen a lot of initial fear that happened at the beginning, and then I'll, it seems to be that there's more confidence that's been building since the crisis. You know, you have managements who are starting to provide guidance, feeling more comfortable with reinitiating dividends and things of that nature. So I, I really tried, on the one hand, you want to take it case by case. On the other hand, you also want to understand that if you're going to make rules, hard rules like I did, where, you know, as an example, my my hard rule is you sell on a, on a dividend cut, complete dividend cut. I also have another hard rule. I sell on negative earnings. So those have been the two hard rules so far that I've stuck to in my investing life. And I feel like it's helped me make better investing decisions. So now we have this gray area, right? Where you have a company like Disney, or I have another retail company in my portfolio. And they also did a similar thing where they didn't say that there's not going to be a dividend. They said they're going to delay their dividend. So you know, you contrast that versus something like Southwest Airlines. This was also a company that I held through the pandemic. And once they announced that they were not paying the dividend, then I sold that company. 
So with Southwest, they had a situation where they took money from the federal government. The federal government said, "Okay, you're not allowed to pay a dividend. Uh, you're not allowed to pay a dividend for the next two years." And so they made that announcement. And with me looking at that situation, that's several years of no income. So that combined with everything else, it made for a pretty easy sell. Now you, you you take a company like Disney or um, the other retail company in my portfolio. I've already received a dividend for 2020 for these companies. And for Disney, they're talking about delaying that dividend until the next the next go around. So we will see what happens with 2021. If I'm in a situation where it doesn't look like there's going to be any income for 2021, the way I perceive it is that's going to directly go towards one of my hard and fast rules where I'm not getting an income for that year. But as it stands for this year, I've already received one dividend and we're kind of... Management hasn't said what they're going to do, whether it's going to be one way or the other. And so I'm kind of watching and waiting to see what happens. And from there, you kind of make your decision making. And I think taking cues from management through their actions on dividend payments, I think it's generally a good policy and it's it makes for an easier way to kind of follow what's going on with the business and maybe the strength of the business if if you're trying to make things very simple when it comes to the stock market because you know bottom line is a company needs to generate cash flows they need to be profitable in order to pay dividends and so sometimes these dividend announcements can be great foreshadowers of 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 future problems and it makes rules like these very useful in helping with that decision making I would agree with that. And I, I like the idea of having these hard and fast rules. However, uh, for me, during this time, I guess I have been a little more on the gray side of things uh, than Andrew is. And we've talked about this in the past. And so some of the things that I guess when I'm looking at the, the whole cutting a, of a dividend and cutting bait with a company, I think it. I try to take it circumstance by circumstance. And in the case of the example here with Disney, I think personally, in the long run, the company, I think, will be okay. And I think uh, the cutting of the dividend is a prudent decision based on what was going on at the time and still how things are kind of playing out for them. Uh, some things are started to recover, but we're not out of the forest yet. We're still in the woods on on the virus, and we don't really know how much longer this really will go, and nobody does. And so I think it will impact the company in the near future. Uh, Do I think that Disney has a possibility of going bankrupt? I don't. I think this is going to be a company for a long time. And uh, one of Andrew and I's heroes, uh, Porter Stansberry, uh, talked lots about Disney and other companies. And one of the things that he said about Disney that struck me a long time ago was that this was a company he felt like would be around for his grandkids. And I kind of really took that to heart. And I think one of the reasons why I, I bought Disney uh, earlier when the COVID 
started and and the drop happened in March was because I felt like this was an opportunity to buy a company that I could give to my daughter. And that was kind of my incentive for doing that. And so I guess I have a, a different, a different thought about the company than other people might. And so when I look at Disney, I look at it as a company that when my daughter is 30 years old, this is something that she will own as well. And so for me, I, I guess whether they pay the dividend or not, I still feel like this is a company that I'm going to continue to own. Now, if I see things that foreshadow them closing the parks permanently forever kind of thing, then yeah, we're going to actually, we're going to have to have a different conversation. But I, I think when an unforeseen incident, like what just happened and what is still happening has affected a great many businesses and industries out there restaurants for example great example uh, when i think about those kinds of things then you have to i guess i have to to think about looking at it from a a case by case basis and i certainly agree with what andrew it was talking about and i think having those kinds of rules are certainly beneficial and i think it has certainly helped him a lot and i don't disagree with him at all i just for me personally, it just works better to have those kinds of rules in place, but then also look at things on a case by case basis. And it just works for me, but you have to stick with what works best for you. And for me, in a, in a circumstance with Disney, I feel like this is something that's more of a, a one-off kind of thing, even though it may last longer than, than a year, there is certainly that possibility. But I guess for me, that's something that I would continue to hold on to because I have a different, I have a different mindset about the company, I guess. Yeah, I think as an investor, what you said, Dave, is really important. You know, you got to pick the hills that you choose to die on. So, you know, you can pick whether the, the hill you will die on will be valuations, will it be business health, any, any, any kind of investment philosophy or fundamental or idea or aspect of the business, you know, you, you want to have parts where, where you're going to be flexible. You're going to understand when times have changed, but you also want to be, you know, understand where you're going to learn from past mistakes because one tricky mind, one tricky th- pattern of, of mind thoughts basically would be you know this time is different and so as a, as it relates to any crisis that we've ever seen you always have to be careful with that and i think you know depending on your temperament and and the way you like to invest you're going to lean one way or t- or the other in this discussion or lots of other discussions and so i think it's good that we're kind of hashing it out and using these Rel, you know these real relevant examples because these are definitely the type of decisions that that investors are are looking at making right now. And yes, they will be important as time goes on. Budgeting was always a challenge for me. I struggled to find the best way to keep track of all of my money. Not to mention all the time tracking down receipts, cataloging expenses, and trying to figure out what went wrong with my air quote system until Monarch Money. Monarch Money allowed me to easily see what is going on with my finances, helping me get a better handle on my spending, budgets, and more. It's my go-to app every day, more so than my bank, because I can quickly see where I am with my budgets and spending. 
allowing me to invest more and spend time on the things that I want to do. It's my GPS for money. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all of your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com beginners. Unlike other personal finance apps, Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it so easy to set up, customize, and use. Monarch has built-in features to collaborate with your partner, family, or financial advisor. Invite them to your account at no extra cost, and they'll get their own login info and a joint view of all of your finances. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. Change the layout of your dashboard, toggle between light and dark mode, create custom budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions and notifications, and more. In fact, Monarch Money is one of the first to bring you direct Apple Card, Apple Cash, and savings syncing with the latest iOS 17.4 update. Now you can sync your wallet directly for seamless budgeting. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's a top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash beginners. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash beginners for your extended 30-day free trial. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to Nerd Wallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. I, t- I totally agree with that. And I love the, the, the analogy of dying on a particular hill because uh, I think that's very apropos when we're thinking about some of these situations that we're in right now. They're, there, there's certainly difficult decisions that have to be made, and certain industries, as we've talked about, have been impacted much harder than others. And so, having to have kind of taking it on a case by case basis is is I think the easier, not easier, is maybe the for me the better way to go. And uh, but I agree with you; you have to kind of think about how you have things set up and what your goals are and what works for you the best, I guess. All right. So let's move on to the next question. So I have, uh, hi, Andrew. I hope you're well. So I've been following you and working with the VTI since January, investing $1,000 per month split across 12 companies uh, within the below industries, oil and gas, mechanical engineering, airlines, life insurance, property and casualty insurance, uh, raw materials, technology, pharma. Uh, he has two questions. Uh, where do you find ideas for new industry slash companies to invest in? And I want to, I want my portfolio to be diverse, but struggling to find different areas of investment with strong companies. So Andrew, what are your thoughts on his great question? Yeah, it is a great question. I've had a lot of recent thoughts about this. You know, we mentioned last week about your new newsletter and how I'm doing a industry analysis of the S&P 500 in the pages within. So 
I've found some very interesting things as I've done that research. As an example, I think we all know technology has made up over 25% of the S&P 500 as it stands today. In previous years, it has not been that much, even as much as three, four, five years ago, it was down to like a 16% weighting. So technology has taken a huge chunk of the S&P 500. Some of it some of it has been reasonable and supported by fundamentals. Some of it, maybe not. Um, some other things I found interesting, you know, big components like healthcare. Healthcare is over 10%. And some sectors where you would think they would be bigger and they're really not. So energy was down a 2% level. And real estate, utilities, and basic materials were all below 5% each, I think. Utilities was something like less than a percent. I can't remember the specifics. It's in the newsletter. But, you know, so you have these huge, huge variations in how sectors are currently weighted in the SP 500. And whether we like it or not, you know, how you position your portfolio and which stocks you pick, you're going to be making, I don't want to say a bet, but you're going to be making moves that are influenced by how these how these sectors change and, and how the weightings change over time. So I've definitely been thinking about it a lot and some ideas of what of how you can how you can deal with it. First I will say if you find an interesting that is if you find an industry that is interesting to you, just dive in. I think you know, we've talked about in the past about circle of competence and how important that is when it comes to looking at stocks. And that is no more true than if you're if you're interested in adding an industry. So what I will say is if you dive into an industry, what I like to do is I like to take who I perceive as the top dog of that industry. And I like to start there and then kind of go down the list and basically make a list of all of the um, companies' competitors. And so if you're struggling doing that, I found that the smaller competitors tend to actually do a better job of describing the industry better than the big ones because I don't know if it's an ego thing or what, but the big ones feel like they don't need to talk about the competition. The little ones generally are more descriptive about the competition. So I like to kind of go into an annual report and list that out. And then from there, you try to put the pieces together on some of the more finer details. So as an example, if we're looking at technology, if uh, if we're looking at an industry like servers, you know, maybe a company does some computer servers and they, they have sales in there. Maybe some of it is network equipment like routers and switches. And maybe some of it is the software services that they that they provide in addition to the hardware. So you're going to want to try to, you know, it doesn't have to be super complicated, but try to figure out a reasonable proportion of, of where each of those revenues and profits are coming from. And then you would compare that with other competitors in the industries. And so, you know, it, it can be more complicated or simple depending on what industry you're looking at. Tech maybe is a bad example because... It's so interwoven and interweaven and there's competitors jumping in and out of various markets. And so that one's a bit crazy, but some of the more standard industries you might see easier 
breakdowns where it, there's more natural market players and positions that you can easily identify. And then from there, I think it's important to try to get a sense of what are the valuations of this industry because, you know, companies will tend to trade in similar valuations as the companies in their industry. So if I'm looking at an industry like biotech and if all of the biotech stocks were at like 150 PE, for example, well, I don't care to spend much time evaluating the biotech industry if I know that every stock in there is overvalued. So, you know, you want to make these industry maps, but you also want to check valuations and make sure not every company needs to have the valuations you want to see, but are there enough companies in there where it appears like they have good valuations and then you can dig into it deeper. So that that's kind of what I think of. And um, that's how I would look at approaching a new industry. Dave, what about you? What's the best way to get started in the market? Download Andrew's ebook for free at stockmarketpdf.com. Those are all fantastic ideas, and I agree 100% with all those. And I've taken some of those ideas because Andrew and I have talked about this a lot over the last six to eight months. And I have taken some of those ideas and kind of expanded on those as well. And I think the idea of creating a an industry map is a brilliant idea and using the other relative related companies as i guess foundations to do more research and a thing that i have thought about a lot recently too is looking at trying to look at a product and thinking backwards about how the product came to be and i'll give you an example let's say that i'm looking at i'm not i'm not doing this but uh, i'll talk from an area that, of something that i have some uh expertise in so if i think about the wine industry if i was going to invest in the wine industry if maybe i wasn't going to start at the wineries to start with maybe i would try to look backwards from the wineries and look at maybe bottling companies so the companies that make the glass that they put the wine in. And if that doesn't, if that wasn't appealing, then maybe I would look at the grape growers themselves. And if that wasn't appealing, then maybe I would look at the distributors, the people that actually sell the wine to the liquor stores and restaurants that we buy them from. So there would be not just the actual product itself, but then there will be other related industry industries of that. And you can, t- you can do this with, with anything. Andrew was talking about the tech world and there is, there's so many different layers to the technology part of it that you can think of to try to help spur other opportunities and other ideas. And you think about something like the restaurant business. So you don't just have the restaurant business, but you also have all the things that, that feed the restaurant business, the products and the services as well as the equipment that they use to allow them to serve people, make them food and serve them. So thinking about restaurants, so you think about the food that they buy. So thinking about food distributors or produce companies or meat producers. And then you can also think about companies like uh, smallwares. So the people that make things like spoons and forks and plates and glasses. And then you also have the equipment. So you have all the the ovens and the stoves and the fryers and the 
coolers and the freezers, the tables, the chairs, all those things that that restaurants have to buy to ha- allow people to sit in them and to store and serve the food. So all those different things are different ways that you can think about a particular industry. And if you're having trouble finding something that may appeal to you, there may be something backwards from those chains, uh, so to speak, not necessarily like Olive Garden chain, but just the following the path of where the product came from can sometimes spur other ideas. Uh, Let's say that you're interested in real estate and you really want to do that, but maybe you don't have the money to go out and physically buy an apartment complex or an office building. But then maybe there's other opportunities to get into something like the people that finance all those people. So looking at banks or credit unions as opportunities to invest in or thinking about something like REITs or which are real real estate investment trusts, which people use to uh, to invest in real estate because they don't have to spend the big bucks, but then it gives them opportunities to explore different aspects of real estate in that regard. Or you can look at realtors, the people that sell the homes to people. Uh, there's There's lots of different avenues. So I think when you're thinking about uh, the great the great list that, that is listed here, you think about oil and gas. There are so many different aspects of that and that you could branch out from. Same thing with life insurance and property casualty. There's different specialties in, in each of those. So I think if you work if you work off of an of, of an industry list like Andrew was suggesting, that will spur other opportunities for you to think about. And let's say that you're interested in life insurance companies and you start down the path of looking at somebody like Prudential Life and you think, oh, you know, they're okay, but I'm not really sure that this is going to be a great fit because maybe you don't like the valuation. When you start to discover other companies that are competitive of theirs, you may find valuations more favorable from those other companies. So there are lots of opportunities out there. It's just a matter of kind of, as Peter Lynch talks about, uncovering the rocks. And I think going back to what Andrew said, starting with that that industry map is going to help you branch out from there. And I think that's a great way to start trying to kind of uncover those rocks, as you will. Yeah, I, I love that Peter Lynch quote, something about why, why was he so successful? He, he turned over so many rocks. And, you know, really, you could get inspiration from anywhere. I think I, I was interested in the bottling industry you mentioned, Dave, and it was from just kind of paying attention to a label and just offhand seeing the brand and looking it up on Google. And then, you know, you just never know where these simple things that you interact with every day or a simple conversation or something you hear on TV that could spurn any sort of great investment idea. So, you know, don't be afraid to get on the Google machine and, and, and try to find out about it. One, free tool that we've mentioned before that I think would be beneficial is finviz.com. That's F-I-N-V-I-Z.com. And from there, you can get all sorts of lists of stocks that you can sort in any which way that you'd like. Um, and they have major sectors in there. And it's also within those major sectors like technology, consumer, cyclical, consumer defensive. They also have industries that are you know, inside of each of those sectors. 
And so you can flip through those and you can see the different stocks that are categorized by Finviz. You know, there's no official categorization as far as the SEC doesn't say that a company has to be this, you know. But that's one way to also do it. And just keep an open eye, I think, and and you'll find a lot of cool ideas. Yeah, that's great advice. And I I love the uh I love the suggestion about Finviz. Yeah, that's a that's a great tool. All right. Let's move on to the next question. Uh hi Andrew. Uh I enjoy your publications and your podcast. I was just wondering why you haven't added to your Ben position, B-E-N. I'd love to hear your thoughts as to why it's a hold but not a buy at these levels. Thanks for your time, Dominic. Yeah, another good question. Um, just to give backdrop, Ben has been one of those positions I recommended in the e-leather that has not done as well, not nearly as well as a lot of the other ones. And so compared to where I purchased and recommended it, it is currently down. So in general, you know, if a stock goes lower in price, you would assume that it would be uh, an even better purchase. As it stands for my portfolio now, and you know, I'm glad we we brought up the industry weightings because when I bought the company, it was it was quite a heavy weighting. It still remains a heavy weighting, and it's a healthy weighting for the industry it's in. So this is a financial services company. They work with investment management, and so they collect fees for that in a variety of of solutions for investors through retirement and and other things. So for as it stands for my portfolio, it's already a it's already a um a strong position and it's not something I'm I'm looking to add more exposure to. Secondly, uh I made the mistake a couple of years ago, maybe even a year ago, of recommending too many stocks at the same time. So let me explain. So as as you go through and you buy different stocks, right? They will change in price. And so if I'm recommending a stock and it's at $25 as an example, and if it goes up to $30 and it might seem like it's still a decent valuation and if if a subscriber makes that purchase say the stock goes back down to 27, I'm still up on the position. So I'm looking at it from a different vantage point of somebody who's, who's down on the position. And it's, it's, it's hard to, it's a very simplified example, but as time goes on and um, different portfolio weightings kind of get into the mix, it's hard to, to really, to kind of like replicate, you know, I want to, I want, subscribers to my e-leather to have as as close of a performance to my portfolio as I'm having. So with the time gap, you know, when people sign up at different times that that obviously makes it difficult. And so in order to try to mitigate that, I've I've reduced from simply giving a big list of stocks that might have been great recommendations for me and and done well for me at a, at a certain point in time. I've really tried to just narrow it down to here's the pick for the month. And if you're absolutely dying to have a second pick, like this one might still be strong. But I'm really, I'm really comparing each pick 
to everything else that's in the portfolio. And I'm constantly doing this for every every single month, every single pick I'm looking at. So a company like Ben could possibly be a strong pick, but if it's not as strong as the one I'm currently recommending, or even a secondary one I'm recommending, then I'm not going to recommend it anymore because I think an investor would get closer results to what I'm getting and have a better chance of success by doing the ones where I believe these ideas are the strongest and still are this strong depending on what price it is. So, you know, in the case of Ben, they've had trouble since I've recommended it. Revenue has trended down where in the past when I recommended it, it was trending in the right direction. It was going up. And so they've had some some struggles. They've also just gone through a merger. So things could pick up for them again. So it's really a situation where I don't see them doing anything completely offensive to me where I'm going to completely just cut bait with them and say, you know, this is it. We're done. I don't want to see you anymore. But at the same time, there's a lot of other good opportunities out there now that might not necessarily be as good as Ben because Ben has had revenue decline lately. So though it's it's at a cheaper valuation, the business is not as strong as it seemed when when first purchased. And you combine that with all the other factors and, the, and that's why you'll see this with this stock and you also see it with a lot of the other stocks in the portfolio because I've learned it's it's better to just really present one or two of, of my best ideas at any given time. All right, folks. Well, that is going to wrap up our conversation for this evening. I wanted to thank everybody for sending those great questions to us. Uh, keep them coming, guys. This is a lot of fun and we really enjoy answering these on the air for you guys. So without any further ado, I'm going to go ahead and sign us off. You guys go out there and invest with a margin of safety, emphasis on the safety. Have a great week. We'll see you all next week. We hope you enjoyed this content. Seven Steps to Understanding the Stock Market shows you precisely how to break down the numbers in an engaging and readable way with real-life examples. Get access today at stockmarketpdf.com. Until next time. Have a prosperous day. The information contained is for general information and educational purposes only. It is not intended for a substitute for legal, commercial, and or financial advice from a licensed professional. Review our full disclaimer at einvestingforbeginners.com.